Muddy Media. This news just in, listeners. The Athletic is extending its £1 a month offer for all new subscribers, meaning you can get unrivaled analysis and in-depth features from the very best football writers around, plus a brand new breaking news service and ad-free versions of all of The Athletic's podcasts for just a quid. This deal won't last forever, though, so don't miss out. Sign up today at theathletic.com slash totally. Totally Football Show Special. It's Wenger unzipped. Yes, after 22 years at the helm of Arsenal, launching the careers of Henri and Cesc and the guy who does North London skywriting, Arsene Wenger is back. From the Alsace to down the road from Zurich, by way of Monaco, Japan and the Emirates, and now to the Totally Football Show, the great man takes us through his extraordinary career in this Totally Football Show Arsene Wenger special in association with Paddy Power. Hello, listener, and welcome to this Totally Football Show Arsene Wenger special. On board with us we have... Uh, Michael Cox, the Mariella Frostrup of Football Analysis, Julian Laurence of ESPN, and one of the leading experts on Arsene Wenger, Arsene Wenger. Arsene, <laughs> thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you very much. Uh, um, you probably know, but Michael and Jules have spent years analysing and, and writing about your work. Can you tell me, which one of them did you once shake a spoon at? <laughs> <laughs> Look, I don't know. <laughs> I can't remember. I, I can't believe you, you started the show with this question to Arsene. Well, I thought it was best to clear the air. There was a, oh, a cafeteria <laughs> encounter where Arsene uh, shook a spoon at you. And I think not without justification, but that's all water under the bridge. Uh, we, we can move on. Uh, Arsene, you've recounted your, your amazing story so far in this book, Ma Vie en Rouge et Blanc, or My Life in Red and White. Uh, how was it? How was writing a book? I, I had a long hesitation to make a book because uh, I was never a fan of that, but I uh, had time to reflect on my life uh, uh, because I was not working anymore and I basically don't like really much uh, to look backwards. Mm. But uh, at some stage maybe in your life it's uh, needed, even if you leave a legacy just of your experience. and. Uh, but I wanted to reach two points just to say, to convince young people today to say life can be bigger than your wildest dream when you're a kid. And uh, as well, that uh, to share my experience of what I learned of, uh, on the human front from uh, being in touch in my whole life with uh, people who performed at the top level. Also, when, when you did look back, when you went through everything from the extraordinary career for the book, was there anything that you kind of discovered that you hadn't realized about yourself or, or what you'd achieved? Well, uh, I knew the intensity of my desire about football, you know. I didn't know really where it came from, uh, where it came from. And when I look back at my life, it certainly came from my childhood because I was in touch in a little bistro, in a little village, agricultural village, very religious village, where you had three blacksmiths and only horses. And uh, so I discovered basically that uh, my football passion comes from there. And uh, my love for work and for trying to do well as, as well comes from there because it was a village where uh, you had just to survive 
and uh, the survival was linked with hard work. So they told you facts count in life is not what you talk about, it's what you do. Hmm. And uh, that was a, a good education, basically. My favourite part of the book is where you're talking about the early years there, because it is such a different world to, to now and to the other experiences you had. Um, which part of your life or your achievements do you think seven-year-old Arsene Wenger would be most excited to hear about? Well, uh, that was happy in, uh, in the farm, in uh, going to the fields and uh, working with the horses, you know, and milking the cows uh, was quite... If you had asked me at that time, what do I want to do in life? I would have said the farmer. I want to stay in the fields every day and, uh, and uh, do that. I couldn't even uh, imagine that uh, I could spend my life in football. Football was not serious. Work is serious, but football was not serious in my village. Is being a manager a little bit like being a farmer? <laughs> uh, <laughs> the fields are smaller. Right. You know? <laughs> And it's easier, easier to walk on it as well, right? because it's flat. But uh, it's a bit where I was the happiest, where that's where you come to, you know. I, I was the happiest on the grass. Yes, that's okay. true. Well, so now these days uh, you have uh, your role in global football development for FIFA, developing the, you know, the future of the game. How, how does that actually work in kind of day-to-day -day terms? Typically you... Uh, behind a desk thinking, I hate throw-ins, and then you call someone up and say, no more throw-ins? How, how, how does it work? Well, it, it, uh, the rules is only one aspect of, uh, of my job. It's not the biggest one, because the rules is more Pierluigi Colina, Massimo Busaka, and the IFAB who work about the rules. I come out with crazy ideas after they have to say they like it or they don't like it. But I just think... Uh, believe that uh, even if football is popular, I try to think how can you make it quicker, more spectacular, because the evolution of a society, they have less patience and they want uh, only the game to see to become quicker. So I, I, I try to think how can we, we achieve that, how can we make it better, more spectacular, mm. and uh, go with the evolution of a society. And after... Uh, People have to say, yes, that's, that, that doesn't work, what you come out there. I, I'm, uh, I just say, when I practiced in training, I didn't play throw-ins with hand, because you, when you look at the time wasted on uh, throw-ins, it's unbelievable. It is supposed to be an advantage for the team who benefits from the throw-in, but in, mm. at the end of the day, you're 9 against 10 on the pitch, and the guy has to use his hand to, make, to throw the ball in, you know? And... Uh, uh, it's the only time you can use your hand as a football player and only because you stand outside the field. But that was maybe at the time. Uh, yes, today uh, people want it to be quick, short and uh, more spectacular. Arsene, on the throw-ins thing, I can imagine that Arsenal, for example, would use their throw-ins to take the ball short and keep possession. Would you be a bit worried that if you were playing... Burnley, for example, they would just turn those throw-ins into an attacking set-piece and throw their centre-backs forward, almost like making it into a corner. I would, I would be worried about it, and that's why I said you should only do it in your own half. Okay. Hmm. And, uh, and uh, not on the other half, because, uh, yes, after, after every time, would waste more time, uh, because everybody would go in the box and you would have a, a free kick taken every time. No, you have a... I, it's just... Uh, 
what I, I, I want to say, you have to experiment it after, you know, does it work or not. But uh, I think uh, overall, uh, just want to say you, you have to be, still be creative and come out with new ideas. For example, uh, if a free kick is made on you, why should you have to pass the ball? You should be capable to continue straight away yourself with the ball. Mm-hmm. Did you feel it was, it was going to be hard to, to try to make it more spectacular or... Or there was a lot of things that you had already in your head to, 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 to know exactly what to, to propose? No, I listen to people as well, you know. Many people come up with ideas. Uh, I get letters of people and some of really? them don't come from me. I, uh, people are creative and uh, I'm the one who can throw them out as well. So I do it. How has the first year been? Has it been slightly frustrating in terms of the ability to get stuff done, also because of the kind of global circumstances that you find yourself in? Uh, the, the time of response is longer. What is fantastic in a football team, in a football club, is that you have always a response three or four days later. You know, in, At FIFA, you have 211 countries. <laughs> so the, the efficiency is uh, always difficult to measure and the time it takes is much longer so that is a bit uh, uh, sometimes difficult to take when you have been a manager for so long mm. and uh, the COVID makes it more difficult because what I want what basically I want to achieve is a chance to everybody who wants to play football to play in the world and at the moment because really you live uh, uh, in developed countries, we don't realize that uh, many children have no chance to play football, structured football, you know. There's no under 15 in uh, many countries, there's no under 13 in, uh, in many countries in the world, and uh, they have no chance just not to become a star, just to play football. And uh, that's what I, I, we created an ecosystem, people who go into the countries, detect the needs, and we, we give them the answer. We help them to find the answer, not just by giving them money, but giving concrete help online by educating their coaches, uh, by giving them content for training sessions, by analyzing well the game. And uh, that's what I want to do. Mm. In indirect terms, you're kind of famously behind perhaps the biggest changes in the way football is approached at top level in this country. There's a very clear before and after in the Premier League in terms of your arrival and the effect it had on uh, diet, what you call invisible training, scouting, all sorts of other things. Um, in your new role, what do you think the next big change like that might be? The, the same way that mentality evolved from a kind of before and after in the Premier League. What, what do you think? That, where's the next area where football's going to shift up a gear? Well, I, I would say uh, that there's less space available to develop your game because the teams defend on a shorter space, you know. And uh, so it means, uh, it looks to me that in the last 10 years, the main trend has to be uh, to become uh, physically stronger, quicker, more explosive, and uh, that we are coming to an end of that kind of development. And uh, to me, it looks that we have lost a little bit technical level uh, for some players, and uh, that the, the, sp- the mental speed, the flexibility of the speed of the decision-making, this is the kind of, uh, of next step where football can develop. And I believe as well, I explained that in a book, that the quantity of information that you can take in the 10 seconds before you get the game, you know, to anticipate, to, to make your decisions quicker and sharper, uh, because you, uh, 
know more about your environment when you get the ball. These kind of things need to be developed and uh, I want to work on that as well because it is important to see when is the best age to develop these qualities. Mm. Because you and I, uh, we played all football, but when you're a small child, it's me and the ball. Then it becomes me, the ball and the partners. When you're a bit older, you can pass the ball. Then it becomes later, me, the ball, the partners and the opponents, you know. And you have to integrate that uh, as well as possible. And, uh, but to do that well, you need, of course, to develop uh, the quality of information you get and uh, the speed of the information because the situations uh, around you change very quickly in the game. You, you've always said that the difference between a great player and a, and a really good player was this ability to take the information before the ball gets to him and, and, you know, looking over the shoulders and then having already, knowing already what he's going to do. Technically, everybody can, you, know, you can be very good, but if you don't have that kind of information and that kind of habit of looking around, around you before the ball gets to you and knowing already what to do, that's for you the big difference. It is a big difference, you, you know, because you have some people, uh, when you go on the social networks, they make unbelievable things with the ball. But you put them in the team, they are not good football players. <laughs> <laughs> so that means it's not me and the ball, mm. it's how to deal uh, with the situation in a game and to give uh, the, the, optimal, uh, the optimal decision. Every time you get the ball, basically, you should make the best possible decision for the game to develop. To do that, you need to take information before. Mm. And, mm. Uh, Uh, that is, of course, uh, something that uh, you have to create exercises in training sessions where you allow the boys to get used to that. So many things to talk about, Arsene, from your uh, globetrotting, uh, game-changing career. Next up, let's get stuck in to the biggest chapter of all. We know everyone thinks this season is going to be different, but at Paddy Power, we're staying positive because isn't the new normal just the same old football? Avoid unnecessary journeys. That's Fulham's trip to Anfield off. Self-isolate. Some strikers do that very effectively already. You see? New normal, same old football. And that's why if one leg of your four-plus-fold Acker lets you down, you get your money back as a free bet on all football matches and all markets. The Acker Cracker from Paddy Power. Max free bet £10. Min odds 1 to 5 on each leg. Online exclusive. Exclude shop best. T's and C's apply. 18 plus begambleaware.org. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker and now ad-free on The Athletic, this is The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. So, um, Arsene, let, let's talk about Arsenal. It, it's been tough for, for many supporters after so many years with that iconic reassuring presence on the sidelines. But how did you feel about Gunnosaurus mm. getting axed? Uh, I suffered like you. <laughs> I uh, honestly, from outside, I don't understand it, and I don't know why. I don't know really what is the reason behind it. Uh, it cannot be financial, you know. I don't believe that uh, it can be financial. So uh, I regret it because I knew him well, and uh, I hope the solution will be found that we can keep him. He, mm. he is an important part of the team. <laughs> no, absolutely. I mean, even I mean, his role actually does extend to relations with manager and players as well. Yeah, of course, it's uh, it's part of the whole uh, process. You know, when you come to the stadium, he greets people, he greets uh, 
it's you feel sunny. Okay, we are at home. We play a game at home, and uh, that's it starts now. So it, it and it's a nice uh, gesture that the kids like it as well. If you go, the parents go with their children. It's fantastic enjoyment. Mm-hmm. I don't really know uh, who made that decision and uh, what is the reason behind it. I just refuse to think that it uh, it cannot be financial. No, no it, it, indeed. Well, possibly once things return to something approaching, or at least we get fans back in stadiums, it'll be readdressed. I don't know. There's been uh, an important contribution from Mesut Ozil on the subject. However, in broader <laughs> terms... Let's look at your. Um, let's look at the impact and, and your memories of of Arsenal. Um, first of all, can I ask? This is a pretty funny island that we're, we're living on. What was the biggest shock to you as a, as a man and as a manager when you arrived in North London from Japan? Well, I can, uh, Japan is an island as well. You know, I found mm. similarities uh, uh, between Japan and England, but England had the more dominant mentality, you know. England has a history that culturally is a country that has dominated the world, basically. And uh, so you could feel that uh, there's a certain tradition there that has a weight in the way you behave. And uh, it is as well, for me, it's a country of the heart, of the emotion. Because for me, it was always a country of music and sport, the passion. and. it is as well a little bit, uh, I think, a clanic society because you support of Tottenham, uh, you support of Arsenal, you support of Man United, you know, and for life. And uh, it creates a rivalry that is quite special in the country. So for me, what was the most uh, enjoyable and surprising is the desire of class, uh, a kind of behavior inside the club when I arrived at Arsenal that was linked with tradition with a way to behave, and uh, I was seduced by that, by that desire of uh, how you act is important, how you behave yourself is important. And it's not only uh, to get a penalty in the box, uh, you know, it's, it's just a way to be, a way to, to represent your club. And I think the fans said the same. And I was really uh, struck by that. Was it hurtful when you arrived and you saw people, not not questioning your appointment, but you know, saying, "Arsen, who who is this guy? You know, we don't know him. Where is he coming from?" Instead of doing a bit of research, they they already dismissed you in a way. And or, or did you understand it maybe at the time? Yeah, I understood that, but uh, I must just say I was already manager of a year, one or two times in France or in exactly, Japan. Exactly, that's why. Yeah, and uh, but it was not yet not the social networks. Uh, you had uh, now, you know, today that would be impossible. So, mm. And I believe as well, when you go abroad, uh, you have to accept to be questioned. I always said that to the players, you know, if you come here, the first thing you have to know, don't want to be treated like a local guy. If you want to play like him, they don't need you. You have to accept that if you go somewhere, you have to bring more than the guy who is local. Or there, there is no need to come. Mm. And... Uh, that's why sometimes you explain as well that the uh, guy who go abroad suddenly they, they are much better because they, they, they feel that need to perform. Awesome. One of my favourite parts of your book is where you're talking about uh, the significance that Wembley and the Cup final had for you as a child back in Dutlenheim. Um, you were sort of seven, eight years old and, and you and your friends would watch the Cup finals on the television, the black and white TV at, at the school. Yeah. And... 
We had to bring one pound, and uh, we could watch the game. You know? so, so, so everyone had to con contribute. Everyone had to contribute to pay for the... For, I don't know why we had to pay for it, but uh, uh, now imagine me as a little boy, seven years old, I see a cup final with a white ball on a pitch that was impeccable. We cut our pitch with the horses, you know, <laughs> and... Uh, so you see a pitch like that, of course, it, it, it was a dream. And then imagine you walk out uh, 20 or 30 years later, leading your team to Wembley, you know. It, it is uh, something uh, that is unbelievable. Was it a very emotional time for you, for that reason, the first time you... you yeah, you... it was a very emotional time and uh, it goes through your mind. When you walk out, <laughs> it goes through your mind. You think, what am I doing here? <laughs> Arsene, how about the um, the FA Cup final victory over Hull? That came after a period where Arsenal hadn't won a trophy for a while and you were often defending the lack of a trophy, saying it's important to finish in the top four. Did your mentality change when you you know remembered the, the thrill of winning a trophy? Yes, of course, because I, I think we won in 2014, 15, uh, 17 again. And uh, I realised that to keep the support of... Uh, of people, they needed uh, trophies again, you know, because uh, uh, it was a period where I felt every time to be in the top four was a kind of trophy because we had to pay the stadium back and mm -hmm. we needed the money from the Champions League. Today, uh, it's less the case because you get so much money from television, but uh, the weight of uh, Champions League money is less big than before. And we needed at least to be three years out of five in the, to be in the Champions League and uh, to make an average uh, attendance of 54,000 people in the Premier League. And we managed to make 60 and we were 19 consecutive times in the Champions League. Mm. So that allowed us to pay the stadium back and to by selling the best players we, we could survive. Arsene, you'd, you'd moved around a lot before coming to uh, North London from Alsace to, to Monaco, Japan, uh, and, and then to, well, then Highbury. At the time, were you anticipating that you would stay so long, or did you think it was going to be another stop on your kind of world tour? And what do you think made you and Arsenal such a good match together? I uh, believe that uh, I uh, had success, and I was happy in the way I could do the job, because I think... Uh, I was at an age where I did not want to be dictated anymore what I have to do. I was never like that, even at a very young age. Even in Nancy, I decided what will happen, you know, uh, with the money we had. So, Arsenal was ready uh, to move forward. They were ready for a change. And uh, I felt that uh, when I arrived, it was uh, 96, the change I provoked the change in English football because it, when I arrived, it was a monocultural team, a very good team. But the core of the team, we had uh, 15 English or British players, Dennis Burkamp, and uh, uh, so that's it. After started, I started to bring in uh, foreign players, the teams became more multicultural. And uh, because I had success, I was happy uh, to be successful and I was happy as well with the way I could do my job, you know. And uh, because I think a manager has to win football games and uh, give a style of play to the team. On two, he has to develop individually the players. On three, he has to extend, develop the structure and the brand of the club. 
and that could be uh, active on the three fronts by uh, uh, making the uh, club present in the Champions League every year, by uh, uh, building a new training centre, by building a new stadium. And I thought I stayed because I could act on the three fronts. And uh, I left the club very proud of my second period because I felt uh, it was the most sensitive period of my life in the game. And uh, I did it till the end. And I left the club in a good financial position uh, with the structures developed, with the club uh, having a fantastic stadium. So overall, uh, the guys coming after me can do better. You mentioned the fact that you changed English football. How did English football change you? I came to England, uh, they made me love their country, you know, because now I don't work anymore in England, but I still live in England. So I, I feel there's a way of life that I like here because it's based on, uh, on passion, respect and uh, desire to do well. And uh, of all, the, yes, they transformed me and uh, uh, my family lives here. My daughter studies in Cambridge, so we are we are completely integrated here and uh, so of all uh, I would not imagine when I arrived in England that I would stay for 22 years or 25 years now you know 96 is 24 years and uh, but uh, I have no problems to leave the country. <laughs> What's interesting as well I mean for us in France is that you also change in a way French football in the sense that bringing young French players to, to Arsenal but also I think for French players abroad, not just in England, but, but everywhere, in England especially, but everywhere, and give them, a, I think, a different view on what it was to go and play abroad, what it was to be winning abroad. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I do think that the impact that you had on not just Thierry, Patrick, Robert or the others, but, but also for all French players going abroad and, and especially to England was, was huge because you showed, as for French managers, and a, a few of them followed you as well after to come yes. here, you know, that you could go abroad and do your own thing and be successful. Yes, I think so. I opened the way for many foreign managers after me and some of them were French and did quite well. Football has become uh, international and uh, uh, during my time I believe that uh, the Premier League developed as the first force in the world. When I arrived, the international rights were small, you know. And uh, when I left, now the international rights are bigger than the domestic rights, basically. Uh, so that means that the Premier League has become an international force. What's happening next is to keep that superiority worldwide, because I travel a lot and I see all the countries now try to counteract and uh, to diminish that force. And I hope that we'll find a good compromise with the Brexit that football can survive in England, that the Premier League can still be the, the main force in the world after Brexit. One of the many questions about that particular thing. Arsene, there's that lovely quote of yours about meeting God, and if God had asked you what you'd done with your life, you would say, I tried to win matches. If you had to show God one game from your extraordinary career to kind of back up your point, to show uh, God you hadn't been wasting your time... Which game would you choose? Well, uh, I would say uh, it's not necessarily the game where people would remember, but 
I think my first win uh, in the premiership, first premiership win against Everton in the last day of the season, basically, where you could win in '98, because that gave me a huge confidence and credit as well. And uh, the first uh, cup win at Wembley uh, against Newcastle, you know, the first double, basically, in '98. No offside, Parla finding Anelka. And then maybe some games that nobody remembers when he won, uh, beat uh, the great AC Milan, the way European champion, we go to Milan, we win 2-0 and the fans stood up and uh, applauded the team for the quality of our game. Now says Fabregas. Ambitious effort, it's in! Overall, I would say what you are the most proud is what you are the most is the most difficult to achieve is the consistency of uh, presence at the top, mm. with no drop, no real drop. You know, despite all the financial restrictions, we see now that it's not easy to be 19 consecutive times in uh, in the top four. We were uh, always present there and. Uh, we were five times second, five times third, uh, six times fourth, you know, and uh, we're always in there. And uh, the regret is that we couldn't win the Champions League in 2006 because that would have crowned uh, the golden period. And uh, that was more difficult after. Is that, is that the game that you go back over or go back to in your mind most often? The 2006 Champions No, League not final. most often, but when I think about it, it's still painful because. We, we uh, didn't concede a goal in the whole knockout stage. We played Real Madrid with Ronaldo, Zidane, you know, uh, and uh, Raul and all the great players. Figo uh, were fantastic players. We didn't concede a goal. We played Juventus with Ibrahimovic, Trezeguet, Villarreal. We didn't concede a goal. Uh, played Villarreal without conceding a goal. We go in the final and uh, we are 1-0 up with 13 minutes to go. But we played with 10 men, you know. And uh, the whole game, when you go into a final, you don't want against Barcelona with 10 men because you know they're bench, you know you will suffer in the last 20 minutes. And that is the biggest regret. After that, uh, I believe that uh, when I arrived, uh, Arsenal had no history at all in the Champions League, you know. So let's hope that in the future they can finish the job. Arsene, that run to the European Cup final when you mentioned the clean sheets, was that a deliberate shift in your approach? Because I think that was the first time you'd played Thierry Henry up front by himself. Did you think there was a different way to play to make progress in Europe? Yes, uh, I felt that we needed three central midfielders. I played always 4-4-2 before. And I felt that in Europe we needed more uh, three-player central midfield to resist away from home. And uh, as well, because I, I played Fabregas, you know, and Fabregas in a 4-4-2 in front of the defence was a young boy. He had not the stature he had later, and that we would physically suffer too much defensively. So I tried to add, uh, I added one more player central midfield to help him to defend. And you mentioned that the physical stature of the central midfielders. I thought there was quite an interesting shift between when you came to English football and the later period where 
at the start, it was always your players getting in trouble with the referees and getting red cards. Mm. Towards the end, the controversies were often you were complaining at the physical treatment of the opponents on your players. What yes. changed between those two periods? What changed is that uh, we had less animalistic force on the pitch. You know, I, I didn't need to complain for Vieira and Petit or Gilberto Silva. They were big enough to uh, take care of themselves. After that, when I went to younger players, you know, and uh, when I think today, what makes me sad is that uh, Ramsey, Wiltshire, Diaby, Eduardo, they've all been kicked off the pitch, you know, and uh, damaged for life. No, it's not even uh, a football career suffered, but uh, that joints uh, will be bad in the future. And uh, these kind of guys, I forget a few, could not make the career they deserved because of physical violence and without mm -hmm. any protection. And that's where the VAR helps today. If I just can come back one question on the final, because I've always wanted to ask you that and never had the chance or never did, but you took Robert Pires off after the red card for Lehman and you've had such an incredible relationship with Robert still now, but all through the years, even when he's, he was having trouble in his private life, for example, you, you were so, so close. How hard was it to make that? Because you could have taken Kleb off or Jungberg. It was even harder because he was Robert. Or do you have to just be ruthless at times when you're a manager in a Champions League final? Uh, you make the right decision uh, or what you think is the right decision. Mm. Still not today. I'm convinced that it is absolutely the right decision <laughs> because we lost the game. But uh, uh, at the time, uh, it was 2006, Robert had a big uh, cruciate knee ligament injury in 2002. Uh, he was 33 years old, you mm. know, he was not especially a good defender, was more an offensive player. Yeah. And I knew when you play against Barcelona, you have to run after the ball at some stage. And I felt that was the, uh, the best way to deal with the problem we'll face. But when you're a manager, you have to think when you lose, you're wrong. Mm. Arsene, you... If you build a, a Wenger-era best 11, I'm, I'm sure you must have been asked this, a, an all-time a team from the players you had at Arsenal, who would be the first name on the team sheet? That's very difficult to know, uh, you know. Uh, well, what's the first uh, name that comes to You know the mind? historical players like Henri, who scored uh, uh, 175 goals. Uh, you, you would first put your best goal score there. But after that, it's difficult, you know. We had so many great players and... Uh, uh, now that I don't work anymore, I feel a little bit like a father who is asked, uh, what children do you prefer, you know? <laughs> and uh, I, I uh, don't want to do that because it's not the case. The affection uh, is there for every player. And you okay. respect even more the guys who have uh, less talent but uh, do the maximum with what they can do. Fair enough. What about a player like Abu, for example? Abu Diaby, who had an incredible talent and unfortunately for him, you know, he had nothing to do with it, but as you said, was ruined by that tackle against against Sunderland. Did you feel sorry for him when he went through all those years with injuries and setbacks, and and how good could he have been? Because you you've seen him when he was fit and he was incredible. He was incredible. Not only do you feel sorry, I feel guilty, you know, because this happened in the last minute of the season, of the last game of the season, and uh, after that. Uh, for us, the most sensitive part of our body is the ankle because you do everything with your ankle. You know, if you have lack of mobility with your ankle, 
you get always injured because you compensate with another part of your body. And uh, I have seen him uh, recently because I helped him uh, to do a business managerial uh, study. And uh, he's a guy who had a huge potential, but wheelchair as well, you know. Mm, yeah, yeah. Wilcher is 28 years old, he doesn't play at West Ham and he's international class. Of all the players you had at Arsenal, who made you laugh the most, Arsenal? Ian Wright. Ian Wright. <laughs> oh, yeah, Ian Wright. And it's not the player I had the longest, but uh, he's, uh, nobody can uh, compete with Ian Wright on that front. You know. He's a surprise, a permanent, a permanent surprise. You know. <laughs> and, and he was young and uh, had an unbelievable energy. And uh, at the time I arrived, it was... Uh, uh, his idol was Michael Jackson, so he would always dance like, or sing like Michael Jackson. And one day on the morning of a game, when I drive down there to Highbury, I see him uh, coming on skateboard. I, I couldn't believe it. You know. <laughs> <laughs> so, he was full, always uh, ready for to surprise you. Uh, he's still a, a lot of fun, um, M Michael. You've you've chronicled. Uh, so many of, of Arsenal's triumphs. I, I wonder if the, is there a managerial success or a game in particular that you think marks one of uh, one of his greatest achievements? Well, I'd be interested to know Arsene. I mean, everyone talks about the invincible season of going unbeaten, the only time that's happened in, in top flight history. But two years beforehand, Arsenal scored in every game, which is also unique in top flight history. And it's never really mentioned anywhere near as much as the invincibles. No. Do you think that season gets slightly overlooked? Yes, there are many things, aspects that are uh, overlooked, and, uh, but the history always uh, doesn't always retain what you would like to. And uh, so uh, you, you do your life and uh, a little part of it will be remembered, but it's not always what you would like the most. You're listening to The Totally Football Show, sponsored by Paddy Power. No. Moving on to some more broader terms, it, it, I've seen you mention on, on a couple of occasions that throughout your career you were you felt you were only really present when you were on the pitch, either on the training ground or on the, the, the side of a, a pitch on match day. Now that you're not at match days or at the training ground, what, what fills the gap for you? It's difficult because uh, daily life is difficult for everybody. It's boring, repetitive, and uh, it's a fight, you know, to every day. And football, football uh, gets you out of your daily boring life. And uh, the match, even more so. Life is about intense moments. And after that, wait for other intense moments, you know. So I think uh, a football game is always something special. So still very much in, involved in football day to day. It, you, you expressed an interest, or at least it was reported that you'd expressed interest in the Netherlands job recently. I have to ask, are you, are you done with club management if, for example, Ars Arsenal were to ask you to come back a bit like Kenny Dalglish did when Roy Hodgson was in trouble at Anfield to kind of ride to the rescue, would, would you come to their aid? Never. I think that would be the worst decision is to manage Arsenal again, you know. But mm. I, uh, I uh, have to accept you do, you do as well as you can somewhere and when it's over, it's over. I uh, still love Arsenal, I still support Arsenal, I could help Arsenal in a different way, but never as a manager again at Arsenal. 
the first part of a question. I don't rule it out completely because it's still too painful to say no, I don't never do it again and to put that in my mind. But uh, uh, I don't know. Now I am on a mission at uh, FIFA and in the next year or two I will focus on that to help the game, maybe less uh, egoistic. Would you have three golden rules for any uh, aspiring managers who are listening for your three golden rules for being a manager? I would say uh, the first, make sure that you have a clear definition of your responsibilities in your contract. Mm. To have a clear life in this job, it's difficult enough that uh, you have a good definition of your responsibilities. Secondly, get a good environment around you. And thirdly, uh, try to make the effort to have clarity about what is really important for you. What do you want? That is uh, the three things I would say are very important. You've been tough at times, but you've also been very loyal to players, to staff, uh, to your all technical mm -hmm. staff and people with you, to the club as well, because you could have left many times for other clubs with more money, with you know maybe bigger club even. Or is loyalty now in this current day for a manager maybe a dream? Uh, loyalty is not a dream because loyalty means you decide if you stay or not, you know, and uh, uh, most of the managers today don't decide if they stay or not. I believe I was a long, uh, what people don't talk about, I was the longest ever serving manager in Monaco. Nobody made ever seven years, you know. So maybe it was part of my personality once I'm somewhere and I do well, but I, I, I uh, feel uh, it's part of my education. When you sign somewhere, you do the, the job until the end. And I decided to guide the club during this sensitive period, no matter, at any cost. And uh, at the end, it was against my own interest, because, uh, but uh, I did it. And I'm very proud of that. I, uh, my, uh, I was guided by serving this club and helping this club to go through an important part of its history and uh, to leave him in a very good shape. Awesome, magnificent. One final question. The film rights to your book, are they still available? And if so, who do you want to play you in the movie? <laughs> you. Ray! <laughs> with, with a lot of makeup, Arsene. Yeah. I don't know. I uh, haven't explored that, uh, the film rights, but uh, no, I just think uh, I just want Arsene now to continue to develop and uh, that life in red and white is happy. Okay. Very good. Well, listen, thank you so much for being with us today. I'm sure a lot of red and white supporters will have been delighted to get this little uh, window into the, the Wenger world. Um, and uh, many, many thanks and uh, best of luck with, with all your future endeavours. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Keep up to date with everything totally at thetotallyfootballshow.com and follow us at The Totally Show on Twitter and Insta. Check out all of the Athletics Football podcasts on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places or listen ad-free on the Athletic app. The Totally Football Show is a Muddy Knees Media production and sponsored by Paddy Power. Muddy Knees Media.